One of my favorite quotes comes from a fellow by the name of Brian McLaren. And in his book, We Make the Road by Walking, he writes this or has this to say, quote, what we all want is pretty simple, really. We want to be alive, to feel alive, not just exist, but to thrive, to live out loud, to walk tall, to breathe free. We want to be less lonely, less exhausted, less conflicted or afraid, more awake, more grateful, more energized and purposeful. We capture, he writes, this kind of mindful, overbrimming life in terms like well-being and shalom and blessedness and wholeness and harmony and life to the full and aliveness. Now, lest you think that Brian McLaren is simply spouting some kind of dime store self-help pop theology, here's what another person said, and it's also recorded in a book, quote, I came so that they could have life, indeed so that they could have life to the fullest. Now these are the words of Jesus as recorded in the gospel according to John. And I wonder how many times we often really absorb these words of Jesus, and if we really feel deep in our soul that he means it, that he intends for us to have life, that he intends for us to really feel alive. I wonder sometimes, I wonder a lot, I wonder if there's folks who envision Jesus as a kind of religious paparazzi, kind of lurking around in the shadows of our lives, just just waiting for us to do something wrong, to do something maybe embarrassingly inappropriate so he can snap the picture and then call us out by saying, I know what you did, I got you on record, I got you on film, now you do what I say and do what I tell you and none of this will ever be known by anyone. That sort of feels like spiritual life by extortion. So how liberating is that? How freeing is that in our own journey? How life-giving and alive is that? And how do we reconcile that kind of image of Jesus with his own words, quote, I came so that they could have life, indeed, so that they could have life and live life to the fullest. Based purely on Jesus' own words, I can trust that Jesus truly wants me and you to live a fulfilling life. Based simply on his words, Jesus truly wants us to feel alive. Based simply on his words, Jesus truly wants you and I to live a life that feels fulfilled. What I also know is this, to be clear, it's on Jesus' terms. In other words, it's a life that's lived as the fruit of a life lived in relationship with Jesus. And this life lived in relationship with Jesus is intended to infuse you and I with life, with energy, with aliveness, and with a deep sense of fulfillment and meaning. Now to this degree that I don't find this relationship with Jesus And living in the way of Jesus, I will try and create my own fulfilling life. And what I discover is, over time, we front load a lot of our things in life with the expectation that they, or it, will give us the complete fulfillment we need. A job, a relationship, a person, a vacation home, a new car, a new boat, some type of achievement. Maybe even finally feeling as if we have pleased someone, or we have gained the approval of them, but often these fail to fill the hole in our soul. I can't tell you how many times I've tried one of those. And I've tried to feel as if this will finally fulfill me. This will finally fill this hole in my soul. But after a while, it doesn't. It wears off. And then I feel frustrated. I feel sometimes angry, and usually I'm angry at either they or it for not fulfilling and meeting my needs in the way I think they should. Sometimes I get depressed, but mostly I get disillusioned. 
And the gospel according to John begins essentially with this invitation, come and see. And that's what Jesus invited those following him to do when they wondered if he was the Messiah. Come and see. See for yourself. Don't take someone else's word for it. Check me out for yourself. Let it be your experience, not some second-hand experience or a hand-me-down faith. Come and see. For me, that is the beauty, one of the beauties, if not the main beauty of what it means to be a friend or to live this Quaker experience. We invite people to come and see, to see it for yourself, to experience it for yourself, firsthand, directly, one-on-one. At the end of the Gospel of John, we're reminded uh, by these words, that these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing, think this word, trusting, you will have life in His name. So there it is again, life. The ultimate intention of the spiritual life is that we would experience life. And the Gospel of John refers to this as eternal life. Not a life in the hereafter, but a quality of life now, a quality of life that's intimately connected with God infuses our life with meaning and purpose and joy, contentment, wisdom, love, and peace. But I think for this kind of life or transformation, it's hard to visualize. So Jesus gives us some real-life examples that enables us to see what this aliveness is like. And this is where Nicodemus comes in, the passage that Keith read this morning. So our text clearly describes Nicodemus this way. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. Now the Pharisees uh, were the holiness movement of Jesus' day. They were the ones that all, all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. The Pharisees often get bad press in Christian circles when we hear the term. But the Pharisees were people who had committed themselves unreservedly to the Torah, living in priestly holiness. They, they were blameless. And Nicodemus himself was no religious slouch. He was a leader and ruler among the Jews. And even Jesus referred to him as a teacher of Israel. So again, Nicodemus had all the religious I's dotted and all the T's crossed. So I think it's worth noting this, that of all the examples and encounters we will explore in John, one of the first ones mentioned is that of a deeply religious and pious person. So when we hear the term born anew or born again as found in our scripture this morning, we may think of an evangelistic crusade, We may think of someone who's never made a commitment or a decision one makes to be saved. But in our story this morning, the person most in need of being born anew, the person most in need of being born again is not the one who has totally and outright rejected the message. It's the one who has been around the religious life for so long that they're simply going through the religious motions. They have all the external stuff down. There just isn't anything inward really happening. In fact, to make sure nothing transformative really happens, we often do our best to control the whole process. Now I began to think, so what would Nicodemus look like today? What would be a composite of him? So I took an attempt, took a stab at that. He might look something like this. The longtime church member who's outwardly devoted to their church activities and their meetings and their denominational standards, but there's just no life going on with them. He might look like the active church member who's deeply pious about their faith and also very busy, active, and sometimes overextended and is pretty much present whenever the doors are open, but there's a sort of weariness of soul within them, and they long ago forgot what it felt like to have joy and life. There's the person who knows their denominational governance backwards and forwards, and they know their faith and practice as if it's been written on their soul. They know proper procedure for everything but how their knowledge of procedure can't produce a sense of wonder and a sense of newness in their soul. 
And then there's a person who grew up in church, going to Sunday, morning worship, Sunday evening worship, and sometimes a midweek service on Sunday night, but they were never given that opportunity or never had that moment to open their hearts and souls to this life-giving presence of God through the Spirit. In fact, attendance was everything. Relationship with God was really just secondary if it had to happen. And actually, too, there is another composite. It's the pastor who works hard at all the pastoral duties, spends time preparing sermons for others, but yet he or she has no spiritual life of their own to speak of, no inward life. It can happen. See, all of these, I think, can be Nicodemus. All of these people can be Nicodemus. You and I can be Nicodemus. And to all these folks, Jesus says this, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Unless someone is born of water, natural birth, and spirit, spiritual birth, it is, impo- it is not possible to enter God's kingdom. And then this exclamation point by Nicodemus, or Jesus to Nicodemus, don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what's the $65,000 question, as they like to say? It's this, what does it mean to be born again? Well, here's my attempt to be born again, is to start all over again. Or to put it another way, it is to begin again or to begin anew, but not as in going back to the beginning, but to start afresh with this renewed sense of wonder, this renewed sense of curiosity, a renewed sense of openness, a renewed sense of trust, a renewed sense of receptivity and dependency upon God. Now think about this. When we think of being born, we think of a baby. We think of all the descriptions I just gave you. A sense of wonder, a sense of curiosity, a sense of openness, trust, receptivity, and dependency. And to be born again, to use that language, is to possess these dispositions within our soul and spirit to be open to however the spirit chooses to show up in our lives. And this is a risk because it means ultimately we're no longer the ones in control. Rather, we are giving up control to the one who gave us life and can give us life. We open our lives to the presence of the spirit and let the spirit breathe life into the areas of our life that most need it. There's an author by the name of Alan Jones who's passed away, but I love this description of new birth, and here's what he writes, quote, new birth is essential in the spiritual life. It's a process that never ends. And by the way, the word that's used in this passage for uh, born again is a word that literally means again and again and again and again and again. New birth is essential in the spiritual life. It is a process that never ends. New space opens up in us. And a new direction is given to our lives insofar as we are willing to be born anew. A new space opens up within us. I love that image because I have, when I, when I read that, I thought about how many times a new space was trying to open up within me and how many times I tried to keep that new space from opening up within me because it meant I may have to change. It meant I may have to be a different person. It meant I may have to be willing to follow the Spirit wherever the Spirit may lead. It meant maybe I actually have to feel joy. Maybe I actually have to feel contentment or feel peace. I've known people who enjoy being bitter and angry so much and being cynical so well that they would rather be that 
than to open up a new space for joy and peace and contentment. Nicodemus asks Jesus this question, so how are these things possible? And that's a great place to start. By opening, I would answer Nicodemus this way, by opening ourselves to the possibility that a new space opens up within each one of us, a new space that offers a new direction, a new space that offers healing and wholeness to our woundedness, a, a new space that offers, uh, infuses our lives with meaning and, and, and a renewed energy that comes from this renewed purpose, a new space that offers hope to our disillusionment and a sense of defeat, a new space that welcomes the movement of the Spirit in our life and gives up control so that the Spirit can lead us in the way that we need to go. While driving down Main Street in High Point on Friday evening, I was heading home, pulled up behind a pickup truck that had a faded bumper sticker on the tailgate that read, quote, Jesus said, ye must be born again. I chuckled to myself. My first thought was, well, at least I'm on the right track for my sermon this Sunday. God just gave me a sign, a sign on the tailgate of a Ram Dodge 1500 V8 pickup truck. I got that close. I had to see what kind it was. But then a part of me felt as if it was all incomplete. Sure, the bumper sticker quoted the Gospel of John correctly, but you know what? There is so much more to it than what a faded bumper sticker could communicate. And maybe that's the final word. The spiritual journey and the spiritual life opens up so much more than maybe we have opened ourselves up to. We've settled for bumper stickers, and God through the Spirit wants to grace us with this bountiful existence abundantly filled with joy and peace, and meaning, and direction, and purpose, and commitment, contentment, and life. And yes, that word, life. And here's my caution. Let's not be too hard on Nicodemus. I have probably preached more sermons than I should have on this Pharisee coming to Jesus like he didn't know what he should have known. When in reality, maybe Nicodemus is the courageous one. Maybe he's the one who finally said, I am so weary and tired of faking it. I am so weary and tired of pretending I'm religious. I'm so weary and tired of going through the motions. I need to find out who this Jesus is. I need to ask what he can offer me. So, that's what Jesus says. Come and see. One final thought, one final note. It was mentioned about hearing the, the voice of God, the small voice and nudge and prompting of God. We have our open worship at 9 a.m., our simple worship that you often read about in the email. It's silent for about 20, 30 minutes. As I was sitting there contemplating on this, listening, what else is there, Lord? And I realized, first of all, Jesus really loved to mix his metaphors in this passage. But I also realized I had spent so much time focusing on the wind metaphor. You can't control the wind. It's the spirit. It comes as it needs to. It comes as it will. Just be ready for it. That for me, I completely missed the birth metaphor, being born. And what I realized was this, and I offer this. If it helps, great. If it doesn't, then just put it to the side. That birth isn't easy. Birth can sometimes be a struggle. And it also often takes nine months for it to happen. See, what I realized was if you and I are in those places where we're being invited to be born again, to be born anew, we may be in that place where we are kind of in the womb of the love of God. And we are in that space of just waiting and waiting 
and waiting. We don't know why we're waiting. We just know something is happening. Something is being formed. Something is being developed. And then just at the right time, at that time that God invites, a new space opens up and we are born anew into new life. And sometimes it feels like a struggle. That's why I guess they call it labor. But it's a struggle. And we struggle into that new life that God invites us into. So like my friend and seminary professor said years ago, we must be born again and again and again and again. My invitation is, how ready and willing am I to open up this new space in my life to allow God to do what God needs to do?